He began studying there in September uh, 2015, and he is supervised by Jérôme Gunning. His research focuses on the relation between space and mobilizations in the Palestinian refugee camps of Beirut after the Lebanese Civil War. So, Alex, you have 20 minutes. Um, to, 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 to begin uh, considering what's been uh, said and discussed this morning, I'd like just to say a few words about Wales people. Uh, because obviously, um, as a Western European white uh, man, um, I am um, very keen on insisting that I'm not speaking here as a representative of the Palestinians of Beirut. I think they do that quite well by themselves. Um, and that uh, my, my, my conversation today is more about the point that has been uh, intriguing me and questioning me for quite a while now um, regarding observations that I made on the field and uh, that led me to, 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 to question some things that I was learning and using at the same time. Um, I'd like just to start with an anecdote which uh, highlights quite well what that uh, intrigue or, or what that curiosity is. Um, it, it, it happened in March 2015. I was invited for, for an interview with an activist in Beirut. Um, and I had to wait for about 20 minutes in, uh, in a, a small room next to his office. And since I had strictly nothing to do, I started looking around myself. And I found a, a little bookshelf that was just next to the chair I was uh, sitting on. So I started watching the books that were there and uh, finding out that most of the classics that I was reading myself. Uh, in, uh, in my, in my uh, literature reviews and in the articles that I was, uh, uh, that I was uh, working on uh, were present in that bookshelf, which, which is always for, uh, for research uh, both surprising and absolutely not surprising to find out that people who are engaging with the community, um, especially considering their backgrounds, but I will go back to that, uh, have an attention on what is written in academia about uh, their communities. Since, since that seemed to be a little bit absent from the literature that I was reading, I, um, I, I, I decided to, 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 to think uh, about it and to observe it more, uh, with more attention in my, in my field observations, and uh, that's what I'm going to talk today. Um, I'm more specifically focusing on a group of activists who I describe as exploiting of very strong technical and especially academic resources and uh, the relation between uh, that, um, that socialization and their, their work in uh, organizations that um, engage with local issues in the Palestinian Council of Beirut. 
Um, so most of you are probably aware of, of, of that situation. Uh, there has been a development of NGOs in the camps since the 1980s, 1990s. Um, and more and more uh, members of, of these organizations uh, have been going in a more technicized uh, register to talk about issues that were previously presented as uh, entirely political, entirely politicized, uh, which has led some, some, uh, some scholars uh, basing themselves on the type of work made by James Ferguson in Lesotho uh, to talk about depoliticization of the Palestinian refugee camps or depoliticization of the social issues in, in the refugee camps of um, Lebanon. Um, I think it's, a, it's, it's an interesting uh, starting point, that notion of depoliticization. Um, and it, it actually brings us uh, a very a strong critical insight to, to what's going on in the country in terms of how do people tackle a certain number of questions publicly. I do uh, yet think that what may have been missing, uh, let's say beyond a general description of the rise of an international normalized uh, neoliberal or so-called neoliberal, that depends on, on what your take on the question is, uh, ideology in the, in, the, in the NGOs, both in Lebanon and internationally. What has been maybe lacking a little bit is a look within the, the, the organizations themselves to ask the very simple question, how did that happen? Uh, ideologies don't walk uh, by themselves in the street usually. Uh, they are carried by people. And, um, and that was uh, a, 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 a perspective which I, uh, which I got from a set of works that have been done in the anthropology of NGOs uh, in France, by especially one researcher whose name is uh, Sylvain Lefebvre, and who uh, says uh, the following, as only quote I make, uh, I, I swear. Um, he says, far from a synchronic mental and hegemonic so-called cultural revolution, uh, we see a uh, managerial common sense coming to the associations through the progressive and contested implementation of specific practices. Um, what does that mean? That means that the change of framing, the change of perspective um, on, on questions that were previously comprehended through an activist or politicized uh, lens has not occurred by itself. It has occurred through conflicts and relations within the organizations. I'm taking, completely taking that perspective on this very specific object that I'm talking, uh, that I'm talking in the moment. I am going to talk about uh, that category of persons that I, I, I defined earlier, which I call technical brokers, that may be a very bad term, but that's the best one I found, um, which are marked by a certain number of things. We, uh, at first I had the tendency to think of them as youngsters. Uh, what I saw was that uh, the more aged persons in the organizations I was, I was uh, studying uh, were having a discourse which was connected to the sort of interactions that they had in their young, such as going through uh, a certain number of nationalist uh, organizations, parties, and so on and so forth, while younger persons um, were more talking to me in their trajectories of becoming activists. Uh, they were more talking to me about being, being in the university, uh, starting a career in an NGO, and then tackling such and such question. And then I started meeting persons who were absolutely not fit, fitting that younger versus older uh, divide, so it didn't work anymore. Um, what seems to be more the case is that you have two typical 
posterotypical uh, ways of, of uh, starting this specific form of local activism uh, in the camps, one being by going through a, a, a more political socialization that is interacting with organizations that are explicitly political, uh, and another one being through a technical um, uh, learning, especially the learning of acquiring and producing scientific knowledge. Um, so I'm not supposed to read that whole thing because it's boring. Um, this is, this is included, of course, uh, in, in a, an evolution of uh, the system of power that governs the camps, uh, going from Palestinian uh, popular committees, which have been slightly under decline in terms of resources, although they have been keeping a very strong at least legit, legitimacy to talk about certain questions, and the rise of these NGOs that uh, come with private international funding and uh, need to present um, uh, their, their projects in a way that will be acceptable for the people who give them money to do what they have to do. Um, so we can, we can indeed associate uh, that to a withdrawal of the political. I'm, I'm more keen on calling that another way to talk about politics because in the end uh, the questions that we are talking about are not questions, are not, are not talked about only in terms of doing a project and that's it, but also about tackling a certain number of um, uh, political issues such as well, corruption, misorganization and so on and so forth. Um, so there is, there is still a form of conflict which is uh, latent here. Now, um, I, I would like to go a little bit into these notions of, of getting into NGOs and getting into local activism. Um, the, 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 the specificity I was saying about uh, these uh, technical brokers is uh, that they are in a way fitting the periods. Uh, they are in a context in which the money comes from institutions that require a very technicized discourse. Uh, let's say the European Union, um, let's say a certain number of international NGOs that are willing to provide funding for projects, but require in exchange the protection of a scientific or to do scientific uh, discourse. I'll give you an example. Um, the, the one group that I was uh, working with intends to um, solve a, a critical situation, which is the state of the electric networks. Um, and uh, the, 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 the distribution of electricity in the camps. Now, we could ex expect a certain number of narratives to be brought around that. We could say that this is to protect the community. We could say that this is um, to enforce a certain idea of uh, Palestinianness, as it was apparently done uh, when, the, when the, pop the popular communities were first uh, started, when they started to develop the camps uh, urbanly. Uh, what, what transpires is that instead you have a discourse in terms of good governance, you have a discourse in terms of uh, development, uh, you have a discourse in terms of efficient action, you have the, 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 the meeting of a certain number of focus groups, uh, you have interviews, statistics, uh, and, uh, and, and uh, even um, how to call it, engineering uh, investigations being led by uh, certain, certain, certain organizations in order to produce a, pu a, a public problem in a specific manner which will be fitting that, um, that uh, uh, funding uh, uh, organizations uh, demands in terms of, of, of narratives. Um, so the presence of these actors in that changing um, situation has been critical 
for these organizations for a very simple question, for a very simple reason, which is that it was efficient in terms of continuing to act uh, to be able to do that. Now, at the same time, uh, these persons, as I was saying, have in their history, and all going back in their history, to studies done in universities on social sciences, on um, uh, sometimes uh, also non-social sciences, but questions such as engineering, mass communication, uh, humanitarian work, international law, and whatnot. Some of them have been included in producing, in, in, in participating in academic activities. I'm pretty sure that uh, um, most of you in the room know about, of course, activists who are at the same time activists and researchers. Uh, I think we have quite a, a few of them here in the room at the moment who have been playing these two parts. Uh, this is interesting from a political science perspective for, 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 for a reason, which is that we can see um, uh, this uh, practice of, of social sciences and of academia as a way to gain also legitimacy in the camps and as a way to, 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 to wage a certain form of power in a conflict um, or at least in an opposition which is always present between different factions, different persons, uh, and different uh, ideas of what should be done at what moment um, in, in the Palestinian camps themselves. So for instance, I have a, 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 a leader of, uh, of one of these uh, groups that I was uh, working with who was very openly telling me in, in, in interview, uh, you know, we're absolutely not working on, on the problem of electricity because we only care about electricity. We are doing that also to show the popular committees that they have not been doing their work well, to the factions that they have not been doing their work well, and that we can do it, and that therefore they have a problem, we have a problem of democracy, we have a problem of representation, and we should work on it. So that's not uh, a, a way of doing political work, I, uh, I, I don't know what is. Um, besides, um, a certain number of these technical brokers have also testified of uh, trajectories of leading parties. So I can think of uh, a typical discourse I had in, in one of these groups. I'm not putting the name of the group because I'm, 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 I'm willing to protect their, their anonymity. But one of these group's um, uh, members were all telling that they had left a specific political party uh, about at the same time because of a conflict internal to that. And they were of course presenting it as we wanted to do good work. It was not possible to do good work anymore within the parties, so we decided to move our political work to another form of action. So we have here uh, a, a very clear uh, way of keeping on doing politics without uh, looking like we are doing politics, this, of doing politics in another way. Um, a quote for... Um, uh, I don't have it here, sorry. Um, yeah, a quote from, from one of these uh, technical brokers who is uh, 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 holding a PhD, works at the university and at the same time works for a Palestinian NGO on local uh, uh, problems, uh, was describing, she was describing one of the projects that they were doing and she told me that. We referred on this question to human security. That is, by the way, the title of the report, human security. The term human security was, was chosen because... I got it in a report made on the topic of Palestine. We use a template that is used in work done all over the places in the entire world, 
and later on she told me, of course the people who are working with us are doing politics, of course they are participating in politics, we have some people who are telling us that's not the case. Um, but uh, that's all political because our entire life is political and therefore what we are doing when we are talking, when we are talking about these technical questions is a form of politics. Um, what, what I see that time is passing, so uh, what, what I mean by that is that it is uh, important to, to consider, thank you, it's important to consider that, uh, that phenomenon on, I think, two reasons. Um, and then we jump to the conclusions. Um, the first reason is that we have maybe a tendency to ignore or to reject as grey literature, you know, that sort of thing which is between uh, journalism and research, which is not actually considered as legitimate research because it's not quoted in, in peer-reviewed journals, and we are tending to dismiss it as not research. Uh, if we take a broader definition of research, and I think someone was making that point earlier, uh, we can see that there's indeed quite a lot of research being led on a daily basis in the community of the Palestinians and in the Palestinian refugee camps in Lebanon, uh, that academics are absolutely not the sole producers of that knowledge, and that this knowledge production in the camps in the camps serves as uh, at the same time uh, a tool for science and a tool also for, for, for action. Uh, the second reason I, I, I wanted to, to talk about that, that question uh, today is that uh, there can be sometimes a uh, feeling from a part of the literature at least that uh, these people are not genuine, that they are not the real stuff, uh, that they are uh, destroying uh, a form of uh, uh, good political activism from the good old days, uh, which is I think very good and well when it comes to discussing between Palestinians about what Palestinians should be doing and how they should be talking about their issues. Um, but as a researcher, I'm wondering, and that will be, uh, that will be uh, one, of, one of my two points for the conclusion, um, I, I wonder to what extent it doesn't go to a, a, a thing that was described uh, by a, a French anthropologist called Benoit de l'Etoile, who was uh, writing in a paper in 1997 about uh, that tendency from researchers to pretend talking, and I'm quoting in his case, it was about Africa, to pretend to be talking on behalf of the real Africans. Um, there can be sometimes a tendency to be willing to talk on behalf of the real Palestinians and to be taking sides without acknowledging the fact that we are taking position in something which is an internal political debate of the Palestinian society and of the refugee society. Um, that the production of knowledge, the production of phrase, and the production of the shape taken by ideas is indeed part of the part of the debate and part of the fight, and we, we are being dragged by doing that, and even by the representation of such and such activism, by focusing more on, um, <coughs> say, uh, if we focus more on the question of memory, we are taking a political stance. If we are focusing more on the question of everyday life, we are all equally taking a political stance, and it is going to give weight and he's going to go back to the people, even though we do not give them their voice enough. I think it was from Mesut's article, uh, that, 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 that sentence, that uh, the voice doesn't go back to the refugees. It is true, as researchers, we don't do that enough. But it still go, it goes back through the studies, through the books, through the articles, which are being tracked by a certain number of people. Um, and that it is going to serve as a resource on the field. So my main general conclusion on that, and that's really a point at which I'm, uh, I'm still uh, struggling quite a lot as a young researcher, um, is to, um, to, to, to what extent when we write social sciences about this community as with others, um, to what extent we consider 
that uh, we are not in separate worlds at all. Uh, we are not in, in uh, relation with in, indigenous who don't speak the language that we are writing in and who will not know what we have been saying about them and who will not use it. Uh, that is one fact. And the other fact is that when we are conducting research, uh, this could be shedding light on why we receive such accurate answers on a certain number of things that we have read in the past. Um, and, and, and how we sometimes uh, amaze ourselves in saying, oh, that person gave me the, just a perfect answer. One of the reasons was, uh, was that indeed, uh, and was told this morning, that uh, indeed people have been receiving researchers time and again and over and over and over and therefore learned a certain language. And another reason could be that uh, they are very much aware of what, as academia, we have been producing as the real situation, therefore throwing it back at us. Um, thank you for your attention. Thank you, Alex. Um, we'll leave the questions uh, for Alex at the end as well. So our next speaker is Monica Halford, uh, who is an assistant professor of communication arts at the Lebanese American University in Beirut. Her research focuses on the social life of information and traverses, the fields of media and communication studies, cybernetics, and political geography. I don't know what cybernetics is, but maybe you can tell us. Um, her most recent work examines the geopolitics of copyright and data in humanitarian practice. The main geographic focus of her studies is the Arab world. Recent publication, her recent publications include a working paper on information rights and self-determination for the Aysan Paris Institute at the American University of Beirut, and a book chapter on the work of the Italian activist and filmmaker uh, of the Indian, I'm sorry, activist and filmmaker uh, Amal Kanwar. Uh, the title of her talk today is Liquefying Social Capital on the Politics Affordances of Digital Media in a Palestinian Refugee Camp. Yeah, maybe I'll leave the explanation of cybernetics uh, for later, but basically what I'm about to talk about um, exemplifies what cybernetics is all about. Cybernetics, in, in, in a nutshell, is really uh, a field of study that looks at how, uh, that tries to overcome the division between the technological and the social, and that thinks uh, technologies and, as an integral part of social life and, and as an integral part of the ways in which communities and societies um, organize themselves, rem uh, remember and imagine themselves, which is in, in a nutshell precisely what I will be talking about here. And here more specifically, I want to talk about the political economy of data in the reconstruction of Nahal Barat, which I've been following along with uh, Ismail from the very first uh, days. Um, and I think I'm, I'm not, unfortunately, I, again, I, I had to participate in a jury this morning and couldn't join you. I'm sure you heard a lot about Nahal Barat this morning. So some of the stuff I, I may be re repeating, so excuse me for this. But I think it's a very powerful case in point, Nahal Barat, to think about the politics of research and knowledge production, uh, because as I'm sure you know, uh, the destruction of the camp made the very survival of the camp and the society in and of itself ultimately dependent on the availability of reliable and, uh, data and data that allowed for this community to come back up on its feet and, and to rebuild their lives, basically. Uh, so the researchers and planners here not only had a special responsibility, but uh, their work was of, of exceptional significance, I would argue, 
for the very survival uh, of, of this particular group of Palestinian refugees in Lebanon. I've discussed uh, the politics of data from various perspectives before, uh, and as you have mentioned, uh, first uh, in the very beginning, shedding light on the very critical question of ownership and control of knowledge in informal settings such as the Palestinian refugee camps, which really just exemplify a global problem. Any kind of informal setting, any kind of uh, I call them unlicensed populations, populations forced to exist outside formal institutional mechanisms of political participation and claim making, which is the work of the uh, of in India I've been, I've been talking about. Um, lack a fundamental lack fundamental rights not only in terms of social and political rights but information rights. What you find is that collectively held knowledge resources. As Palestinians, you know precisely what I'm talking about. There's no rights, no, no, no legal framework available to protect something like the, the shared heritage of Palestinian knowledge uh, from the built infrastructure all the way to the last book written about the Palestinians uh, as a collective uh, uh, heritage. Uh, copyright ownership rights are always geared towards the individual and thereby fundamentally undermine uh, the protection of communal knowledge, of lo local knowledge, which is, which is of course uh, of utmost importance in a context like Nahal Barat, where it was really the, 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 the social memory and all the social contracts and commitments that are built in such a social, social memory uh, was, was uh, about to be lost or at least had to be preserved in some form uh, or the other. And so I've used the case of Malbara to point to this particular problem that we have as researchers, not only special uh, ethical obligations in how we are dealing and, 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 and uh, contribute to the production of, of, of such knowledge, uh, but also how we protect it in terms of information rights uh, that, that defines anyone, any institution, any individual researcher to extract knowledge from local communities and claim copyright on it and, and, and walk off as I'm sure you discussed this morning a lot of times, uh, and generate basically uh, uh, status or profit from it. But on, on the second line of inquiry, I also pointed uh, to some of the blind spots I see in participatory research uh, uh, itself, not least because of the different levels of, of expertise that come to a project like Nahal Barat. Uh, there's a silent transfer of knowledge nonetheless at work uh, that has to do where, where, where local communities share knowledge with experts such as planners, where, where mechanisms of dispossession against the well-meaning intentions are nonetheless reinforced and I think we, we should be careful about this as we engage with local communities. And on, on a third note to kind of uh, point towards ways of out of this dilemma that we all face as researchers, I was proposing this concept of expressive sovereignty to highlight in particular the critical role of data as a source of autonomy and, and, and self-determination precisely for populations that have been deprived of any other means to enforce uh, such claims to, to uh, autonomy and, and self-determination for which the Palestinians, I think, are a very powerful case in point. But what I'm presenting here today is really uh, hopefully the last chapter I plan to write on, on, on Nahal Barat, um, where, I would, where, where I want to take uh, these past eight years, or the eight years that have passed since the, re the reconstruction started, to kind of um, draw, see how this project is, in, is finally brought to an end. As I'm sure you all know, the uh, um, funding is running out. UNRWA has not been uh, able to secure enough funding to rebuild the entire camp. 
the last resources it had available uh, are soon being spent, yet only half of the camp effectively when it comes to, to refugee property is rebuilt. So at, in, at some point in the very near future, crucial decisions will have to be made. Uh, what to do with the housing infrastructure that hasn't been rebuilt and what to do with the people who are still after eight years left uh, without their homes. And so I think it, it provides a very powerful moment and critical moment really to look back at, at all the lessons learned over the past eight years and to understand, uh, to look at the dynamics that shape this reconstruction process and, 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 and uh, to, to assess from a critical distance really how much of the initial well-intended aims have been, uh, have been realized and where did the project of participatory working with the community together to rebuild this camp and, 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 and map the camp uh, where these efforts have fallen short and what we can really learn from it. And my specific interest uh, here this time really lies in what I call the information economy of this entire project of researching and rebuilding Nahal Barat. And here, very specifically, uh, the role, the mediating force of digital objects, such as the maps and the property records that were produced in the course of the reconstruction, their unique capacity to render implicit and intangible claims uh, explicit, and how this may support uh, modalities of claim making in an environment that has historically been marked by structural invisibility, exclusion, and loss. And here you have to bear with me, I need to kind of define my conceptual background, and so it will be a bit abstract now, but I will become more practical uh, very shortly. The position from which I argue is basically this. Digital objects do not stand in a linear deterministic relationship with the things they represent. They rather diffract fixed and continuous quantities. Everything we see here as a fixed object, they transform these continuous quantities into a variable assemblage of values and attributes 